0: This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of
1: many nations who are one in Christ. This sermon is from our series on the Nicene Creed. The scripture reading for the sermon this evening is from Psalm 104, I think it's gonna appear on the screen shortly. Okay, so, Psalm 104, I'm reading from the New International Version. Praise the Lord, my soul. Lord, my God, you're very great. You're clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the cloud as chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds as messengers, flames of fire as servants. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. He covered it with watery depths as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains, they went into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again would they cover the earth. It makes the springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The white donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. It waters the mountains from its upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. It makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate. Bringing forth food from the hearth. Wine, the gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. The trees of the Lord have well watered the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nest. The stork has his home in the junipers. The high mountains belong to the wild goats. The crags are a refuge for the hyrax. It made the moon to mark the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey, and seek their food from God. The sun rises, and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then people go out their work, to their labor until evening. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things, both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up, when you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He will looks at the earth and he trembles who touches the mountains and the smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord.
0: So we pray and ask for God's blessing on his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of creation, for your revelation, and we pray that you would make yourself known to us today. You're waiting, listening people who hunger for your face, God. Help us to be attentive to your words and to your ways, and may we leave here rejoicing full of thanksgiving and worship. In the name of Christ Jesus, your son, we pray. Amen. Amen. While our children may be liberated to slip off to their ministry, to the nursery downstairs, to the reader's class, to my right, while the rest of us take some time this afternoon to meditate on God's glorious work of creation as we delve into this very beautiful, lyrical Psalm 104. This psalm really is Genesis chapter 1 set to music. And I leave as an exercise for all of you to go home and trace out how each of the seven days of creation are alluded to in the verses of this psalm. And the psalmist is looking at God's creation with the eye of the poet and the eye of the artist. And I imagine the unknown writer going on his rambles through the forest and over the mountains just reveling in the life and beauty of God's creation. And as he meditates, his heart rises up in worship to the one whose fingers have formed all things. And he's not praising out of grim obligation. This is my religious duty to praise God, and therefore I begrudgingly say the words that are required of me. This is a heart filled to overflowing with sheer thankfulness for the gift of being alive to enjoy such a wonderful world. We are talking about creation today because we are beginning a journey through the ancient Nicene Creed. And TICF, we embrace with Christians around the world and down the centuries from all traditions, we embrace this creed as a faithful summary of the word of God. And today we're going to begin with the first article, which will be on the screen behind me. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. And I want to say at the outset of going through this creed that we want to follow the psalmist example and turn all of our theology and all of our doctrine into worship that ascends to God. We're not going on this journey reflecting on the creeds simply to satisfy our intellectual curiosity or to demonstrate our superiority to other less knowledgeable Christians or to be puffed up with knowledge ourselves. The creeds provide a kind of grammar for worship. They put words in our mouths and they shape our praises so that we can offer what the theologian Leanne Van Dyke calls a more profound Alleluia, a more profound Alleluia because As the redeemed saints of God we want to offer God our very best We want to love him with all of our heart soul mind and strength giving our entire being up to praise to sing a song of praise To the God who is worthy of all worship and that's why I've chosen us alongside this first article article of the creed to listen And sing along in rhythm with Psalm 104. There are all sorts of theological implications of the doctrine of creation, and we will just touch on a few today. But I think the psalmist models for us a kind of joy-fueled exaltation in the works and the wisdom of God. A kind of exaltation, I think, may be missing from our own lives to our great loss. You know, the theologian John Calvin described God's creation as a theater of God's glory. And for this psalmist, it's like the whole world is, the stage is just crowded with all the wild and wonderful works of God's hand. Animate and inanimate, domestic and wild. And the psalmist ranges over the clouds and the wind, earthquakes, volcanoes, the seas and the mountains, all these primordial, elemental, terrifying forces of nature. But he also goes and descends to the birds singing in the branches and the wild donkeys sipping from the streams. And we see the power and the wisdom of God at work everywhere in his creation, in its teeming biodiversity and its... Incredibly complex, interlocking all these forces that work together to allow for the flourishing of life. And you know in this psalm, although human beings are mentioned, and of course we are significant in the plans of God, in this psalm, human beings feel quite small in the grand scheme of things. They may have domesticated the cattle, but the wild donkeys are just ranging freely on the mountainsides. And when human beings go to sleep, there's a whole world of nocturnal predators that awake to begin their own business. And I suppose one of the lessons of this psalm is that God's creation is not about us. And to shift the metaphor a little bit, it's like all of creation is a huge orchestra. And as human beings, we have the place of honor. We're like the first violinist right in front of the conductor, but there are actually many, many instruments in this orchestra. Strings and woodwinds and percussion and brass instruments. In fact, as we look over our shoulder and look at those playing behind us, we see there are many creatures in this symphony of praise that have nothing to do with us, whose worlds never overlap with her own, and that, in fact, we know nothing about. And every once in a while, there's some fisherman off the coast of Japan who dredges up some really strange-looking sea creature from the deep with, like, weird goggly eyes and hideous teeth. And we really have no idea what else is lurking down there in the dark of the ocean, do we? But somehow, all these creatures, the ones we know about and the many we don't, all of them, are praising God by their very existence, expressing the Creator's wisdom simply by being who God has made them to be. And even today, millennia after this psalm was written, scientists estimate that we have identified maybe 20% of all the species on Earth. There's about 7 million, they guess, that human beings know nothing about, up to one trillion different kinds of species if we include bacteria. So here we are, us little human beings in the front of the orchestra, sawing away on our violin under the conductor's eyes, but stretching far back in the shadows are all kinds of bizarre creatures, millions and millions and millions of them, doing their own unique work of praising God. And, you know, when you begin to investigate God's work in creation, you get this sense of riotous abundance. Did you know there are over 1.5 million species of beetles? Just beetles. One and a half million different kinds. And I have to say, that seems, that seems a little, a little excessive. You know, God really must love creating beetles. And I have to say, that many different kinds of beetles, it's not very efficient. It really is not efficient. And only someone without any budget whatsoever would go that far and simply create and create and create and create all these little crawling insects. You know, they say that an engineer, about an engineer, they say anyone can build a bridge that doesn't fall down. But only an engineer can build a bridge that almost falls down but doesn't. Engineering is all about working within very tight constraints with what you have available. And in a way, God is like an engineer in some ways. The universe is incredibly fine-tuned, and our own planet especially. Stephen Hawking, the late physicist, says, the laws of science, as we know them at present, contain many fundamental numbers. There are all these physical constants like the size of the electric charge of the electron and the ratio of the masses of the proton and the electron. And the remarkable fact, he says, is that the value of these numbers seems to have been very finely adjusted to make possible the development of life. And if a single one of these constants was adjusted just 2% in one direction or the other, life would not be possible. So in a way, God is like an engineer, just perfectly dialing in all these physical constants to support life so that we can be here today. But what we see here in the psalm and what we see in God's creation is not minimalist, pragmatic, utilitarian efficiency, trying to do the most with the least, but we see the gusto and the extravagance of An artist. You know, there is nothing utilitarian or pragmatic or efficient about the universe because the universe is not actually necessary. The universe is not actually necessary. God does not need his creation to exist. He wasn't forced into it to solve some kind of problem because he was hungry or thirsty or lonely. This is how the God of Israel... The one true God is completely different from the pagan polytheistic gods of Israel's neighbors. The triune God that we confess as Christians dwells in eternal bliss, needing absolutely nothing outside of himself, because there is nothing that can add to or take away from God's perfections. God did not create out of necessity He created out of pure freedom. Simply because he chose to do so. God did not create out of lack, but out of abundance. Not out of emptiness, but out of fullness. God created out of the overflowing, inexhaustible riches Of the divine life and in that sense the universe is gratuitous it is superfluous it is not necessary it didn't have to be here and yet all this created reality in our cosmos exists simply called forth from nothing by the Word of God let there be light and there was light, and God saw that it was good. And of course, in this psalm, we see creation being an act of terrifying and awesome divine power. It begins with this phrase, Lord, my God, you are very great. And we bow in honor before the unlimited power of God. But you know, when we think of The gratuitousness of nature, it tells us something of the sheer generosity of God, doesn't it? God bestowing the gift of existence, the bounty of life on what did not need to be. And you can see that movement in this psalm from the greatness of God to the goodness of God. We see in the beginning, like, God is the God who makes the cloud his chariot, and he rides on the wings of the wind. And this great, awesome, holy king also makes sure to provide trickling springs for the wild donkeys to sip from, and grass for the cattle to chew, and junipers for the stork, and mountain crags for the wild goats. All creatures look to you, verse 27, to give them their food at the proper time. And when you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open their hands, they're satisfied with good things. And clearly, God's involvement with his creation is ongoing. It wasn't as though God is the philosophical, unmoved mover who's only needed to reach out and press the red button that says Big Bang, after which everything kind of goes on under its own steam. The creator continues to protect and Sustain and provide for his world. He sends his spirit to continually renew the face of the ground and God expresses his goodness Constantly in his meticulous care for the smallest and seemingly most insignificant of Creatures And we can imagine how this very unusual doctrine of creation in the ancient world, how that would have transformed the Israelites' perspective on the world around him or her. Their pagan neighbors are living in fear, terrified of all these mysterious divine forces around them, not necessarily friendly forces that demand sacrifices. But the worshiper of Yahweh, Living in God's world feels completely safe under the sovereignty of God. There's nothing that is happening outside the control and direction of the good creator. And in the psalm, you see the terrifying darkness is now just part of the natural rhythm of night and day that God have made. The lions who are roaring for their prey while you're lying in bed at night, they're seeking their food from God. And even the Leviathan, the semi-mythical sea creature in the psalm is described as a kind of aquatic pet who's just frolicking and playing while the ships sail overhead and God is simply enjoying all that he has made I think that's what the seventh day is about in the first chapter of Genesis when God rests he's not resting because he's exhausted from calling a world forth from nothing he's stepping back as the artist to revel in what he himself has made to enjoy this work of incredibly rich and complex arts and it's all very good and all of it expresses god's divine and infinite goodness not just to the animals and other creatures in his bounty god has given joy to us human beings not just the grim, bare necessities needed to sustain biological life. God could have forced us just to eat some kind of disgusting gray goop every day to keep us alive. But God provides wine to gladden human hearts and oil to make our faces shine. And when we look at creation and we experience creation and when we live in creation, our response should be, if we are healthy people, a response of praise And thanksgiving and sheer enjoyment for all of God's gifts in creation. Worshiping God for his greatness and for his goodness. That's how we should respond. If we are looking at creation with with pure hearts and clear minds, the goodness and the greatness of God should be obvious. Because as verse 4 says, God makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants, God is speaking in creation, what we call natural revelation. It's not that the creation is divine. The creed is very clear. There's a distinction between the creator and the creation. The world is not some kind of emanation of the divine. We're not pantheists. But we are saying, like Psalm 19 says, the heavens are pouring forth speech. They are declaring the wonders of God. And we should be alive and aware to what the world is saying all around us. And if we are healthy and if we are in tune to that and if we are being the kind of people that God has created us to be, the response in our hearts should be, This is my Father's world. He shines in all that's fair in the rustling grass. I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. Our problem is not that God has failed to to reveal himself as though he's keeping himself hidden, but we're also blinded by sin and self-worship and self-obsession that we refuse to see God and we refuse to hear his voice and we suppress the knowledge of truth in unrighteousness. It's as though in God's orchestra of creation, all the instruments are playing in perfect harmony, following the motions of the conductor exactly. All of them, except the first violinist, who should be the one leading the chorus of praise, and yet is playing some... Jarring song out of harmony with everyone else, ruining the symphony. And there's this brief allusion at the end of the psalm in verse 35, this prayer, but may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. The psalmist is saying, everything in this world would be in perfect harmony, perfect shalom, perfect peace, perfect order, perfect happiness except for human beings who have gone strangely wrong, who've become twisted and bent, alienated from God, alienated from other people, and alienated from creation, where we feel estranged and threatened by what God has made. Here are the mountains and hills bursting forth in song. The trees are clapping their hands in worship. But somehow human beings, so many of us, are deaf to the song of creation. All of God's world is thick with his presence and thick with his glory. And to be a healthy human being is to rejoice in God's presence and spontaneously thank him for all of his gifts. And only then can we be who God created us to be. And God has given us, as human beings, something he has not given the rest of creation. The gift of freedom and responsibility before God. Al Walter says that the stone obeys God necessarily. And the eagle obeys God instinctively. But human beings have a responsible choice to make. To rebel against God and resist his creation or to respond in thanksgiving and worship. And as human beings, we have a special calling as God's image bearers. We're called to, to keep and to guard and to tend the garden, to cultivate God's world, to draw forth from the earth all the latent possibilities that God has buried within it. And, you know, I love this psalm because in the midst of all the wonder of creation, Psalm 104 shows us human beings. In the midst of creation, they're harvesting their crops, they're eating, they're drinking, they're traveling back and forth on the ocean in their ships. And I love, I especially love that in the middle of this psalm with all this teeming activity and all this towering majesty of the natural world, in the very center, in verse 23, we have human beings commuting back and forth to work getting out of bed, going to their jobs, going to their fields, and coming back at evening and tucking themselves in again. And I love how the psalmist has framed what seems to be the most boring and mundane of human activities, the Monday to Friday grind. He said it in this colossal canvas. And while we go about our seemingly ordinary work, if our eyes were open, we would realize we live in a world Of wonders. And we have this special calling as human beings, which none of the other creatures have, to reflect and to express the creativity of God. And it's really cool that in the psalm, in the midst of everything that's happening in nature, there's also human culture happening. Grapes must be turned into wine and olives into oil and wheat into bread and ships must be designed and built and piloted across the seas for trade and travel. Animals don't do that. They just simply receive what is in nature without changing it. But human beings transform and develop what God has given us. J.R.R. R. Tolkien calls this the work of sub-creation. We are sub-creators as human beings. The way God creates is absolutely unique because God creates ex nihilo, out of nothing. There are no pre-existing materials for God to rummage through and put together. God speaks into the void and things spring into existence. And of course human beings are totally unable to create like that. There always has to be something for us to begin with for us to shape materials to paint with and a canvas to paint on. Even our our fingers and our eyes and our brains are gifts from God. But we get to be sub-creators using our God-given ingenuity and imagination to mold and to fashion and to develop and to bring forth the things that God has provided and to turn them into what is useful, not only useful, but also beautiful. The wild donkeys only drink water. Humans get to drink wine. The cattle eat grass. We get to eat bread. And we have this joyful task of drawing out and developing all that God has given us. And not just the grim necessities needed for survival. I suppose bread is pretty functional, but wine and oil for cosmetics, those things are about pleasure and enjoyment, not survival. I know there are some Christians who refuse to drink wine and condemn those who do, people who perhaps are a little holier than God himself. It's like God has invited us to his supra table, right? And he's loaded it down with dishes, literally stacked on top of each other, and he's passing the bottle around, and we toast him, and we drink it down, and we feel our hearts being warmed by God's generosity, by God's gifts. And we can't help throwing our arm around our neighbor in conviviality and singing psalms of praise to God. And I really believe that Christians, of all people, should have an incredible zest for life. A determination to honor God by enjoying all of his gifts to the full. Not people who are all about Self-denial and pure spirituality. You know, it really is an offense to the host to sit there with your arms crossed and a crabby face, refusing to eat the food or drink the wine or to sing or to dance. That kind of super spirituality does not honor God. It's a denial of God's good gift of creation. Paul says that everything God has created is good and should be received with thanksgiving. We get to praise God by delighting in the gift of life and in the glory of creation that we get to be placed right in the middle of. And in our delight, we join God as his co-workers, and subcreators, And like God, we create not just out of necessity, not just for survival, not just as engineers trying to be efficient and pragmatic and utilitarian, we create out of exuberance, like God, as artists. I really want to recommend to you the Japanese-American artist. Makoto Fujimura. He um, he says in his book Theology of Making. God created out of exuberance and abundance. And the universe and we exist because God loves to create. And in God's exuberant creativity is the justification for all artistic work. And Fujimura has a slogan that he often repeats. Art is completely useless. Therefore, art is essential. Art is completely useless. That's the definition of art. It's something superfluous. It's gratuitous. It's beyond what we simply need to get by. It's something extra that is created simply out of the exuberance of life, out of the overflow of divine beauty. At the heart of the Christian faith is grace. And grace does not begin at the cross. Grace is present from the very beginning. Creation itself is an act of grace. It's God's sheer generosity to give us the unearned gift of existence, to give us the bounty of life. And all God wants from us is to enjoy what he has given and then to let our eyes travel from the gift up to God, the great and generous giver and in response to offer up our whole lives as a sacrifice to the Creator and Thanksgiving or shall we pray and ask God for the ability to do just that Heavenly Father Almighty Creator we lift our hands and our hearts to you in awe and worship at your wisdom your power and your goodness in all that you have made. Truly, O Lord, creation is speaking forth. It is shouting to us of your goodness, of your presence, and of your power. We pray, Lord, that we would see your exuberant abundance all around us, your divine life being expressed in the incredible variety and awesome complexity of this world that you have made. And, Lord, we thank you for the gift of life, not just what is needed to survive, but for goodness and truth and beauty. You have given us everything we need to feast with you. And, O Lord, faced with your gifts, may we respond with joy-filled thanksgiving. And as you look down on your creation, O Lord, including and especially at us human beings, may your heart rejoice in all that you have made through Jesus Christ, through whom you have made and redeemed all things. In his great name we pray, amen.
1: This podcast was from
0: Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at ticf-georgia.org. Thanks for
1: listening.